Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn them to the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 2, verse 15 is where we're going to be uh, this morning. Would you stand in honor of God's Word? And as you do that, I want to thank those of you that participated in Love Life Charlotte yesterday. Um, as many of you know, we joined several other churches yesterday morning um, at the largest abortion center in the southeast, uh, which is just a few miles away from here, uh, to just pray and ask God to intervene and move. And for those of you that were here, that participated in that, uh, I just want to say thanks because yesterday three moms um, chose not to select an abortion and left. Galatians chapter 2, verse 15. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says. For we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. You can be seated. On a playoff game, January the 2nd, 2004, against... The infamous Dallas Cowboys. Former Carolina Panther linebacker and assistant coach, Sam Mills, who had just been recently diagnosed with cancer, gave an emotional speech about commitment, dedication, and team effort, never giving up before the game. And in that speech, he used a phrase several times and ended with it when he charged the Carolina Panthers to keep pounding. Today that statement is chanted before every game to the beat of a drum by more than 70,000 spectators prior to COVID and stitched on the collar of every player. More than that, for Sam, his mantra was that statement in his battle with cancer. It was either quit or keep pounding. When we come to Galatians chapter 2, verse 15, we have an example of Paul pounding something that he continuously keeps pounding in every letter that he wrote. This was the mantra of his ministry. And here again, as he does so much, almost redundantly in this letter, he pounds and pounds and pounds the doctrine he mentions here, the theological concept he mentions here, the crucial central part of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He just keeps pounding and keeps pounding and keeps pounding. Here in this two verses, we have two verses, but actually in the original language, one sentence. And you could say that the gospel is summed up in this one sentence. Clearly, concisely, Paul just keeps pounding and pounding and pounding, and in the midst of that pounding, he uses a word that he uses so much, the word justified. 
Here in these two verses, he uses the word four times. Justified. The idea and concept of justification is the core of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Justification by faith alone. Yesterday was Halloween, October 31st, and one of the other things we celebrate on Halloween, October 31st, is something that took place in the year 1518. Martin Luther, who was a priest, was so consumed with the concept of justification by faith that on October 31st, 1518, he nailed his infamous 95 Thesis to the door of the chapel at Wittenberg. And that action and that thesis that he nailed there set off a fire, a chain reaction that completely flipped the world of Christianity upside down. And it was centered around the concept, the doctrine of justification by faith alone as a result of what started there on October the 31st. Started the Protestant Reformation that those of us that are evangelical followers of Jesus Christ, our very Baptist denomination found its genesis, its beginning in that movement and it was all about justification. Martin Luther said that every week I preach justification by faith to my people because every week they forget it. He, like the Apostle Paul, kept pounding justification by faith. The reason that Paul brings it up here in verse 15 is because his dear friend, the Apostle Peter, had forgotten the central and important doctrine of justification by faith. And listen, if Peter can forget it, if Peter can move and operate and live his life and neglect and forget the doctrine of justification by faith, don't you think you and me can do the same thing? So this morning, we're going to keep pounding the core of our gospel found in this doctrine, this concept of justification by faith alone in Jesus Christ. The word justified in your English translation is used three times, but in the Greek language it's used four times in this text. Four times in this verse he uses this word justified. It's a word that Paul uses about 80 times in all of his letters. And it's a word that was translated in different ways. It, it, it's also translated as righteousness. It's a Christian word. The word justification or justified is not a word that you hear outside of the circles necessarily of Christianity. And it's not just a Christian word, a churchy word. It's a mega word. The root word for justified is used all over the New Testament. It's used in the word justified, justification, just, righteous, and righteousness. The original meaning of the word is that it's a forensic word. It was used to describe a legal situation and scenario in the court of law where a judge would declare an accused person not guilty. The word is opposite of condemned. 
or guilty. It means that a person being accused of something has been found to be not guilty of what he or she is accused of and thereby right before the law. The word picture here is just that. A judge declaring his judgment of not guilty. Justification is not an act. It's a declaration. It's a once and all declaration that once the judge declares or the jury declares not guilty, justified, then the person is free. Stands acquitted in this declaration. Martin Luther said that upon justification by faith alone, the church stands or falls. John Calvin, another reformer, said that it is the hinge upon which everything turns in the gospel. Justification is the heart of our faith. And here Paul is pounding that truth into the heads and hearts of Peter, of these churches in Galatia, and to you and I today. And he begins by helping us understand how justification happens by explaining how it doesn't happen. And notice what he says here in verse 16. We know. Now, Paul is saying, this is what I said to Peter. We know, Peter. And now he's saying it to this church in Galatia. We know. We understand that a person is not justified, listen, by works of the law. How does justification happen? Well, here's how it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen by works of the law. Justification is God's declaring a sinner to be guiltless on the basis of faith in him. It is the free and gracious act by which God declares a sinner right with himself. Forgiving him, pardoning him, restoring him, and accepting him on the basis of nothing but trust in the person and work of Jesus. Justification is the gracious act of God by which God declares a sinner righteous solely through faith in Christ. God accepts us in spite of our sin. Let me say that one more time. Justification is God's declaring a sinner to be guiltless on the basis of faith in him. It is not on the basis of anything we do. We know, he says, that a person is not justified by works of the law. No amount of law keeping or good behavior can make a person righteous before God. We are not justified by what we do. The root of sin is found in the heart of man. His fallenness, his actions show that. But the root of sin is not in the actions of man. The actions of man, the sinful actions of you and me, are actions that are driven 
by the root of brokenness and fallenness and sinfulness in our hearts. The basic problem is not what we do, but who we are. And what we do certainly is affected by who we are. But the core problem is not behavior. And because the core problem is not behavior, good behavior cannot flip a guilty verdict. Because the guilty verdict is not just placed upon the activity of the person. The guilty verdict is placed upon who the person is and the heart of the person. Case in point, Jesus said that if a man hates another, he's guilty of murder. Even though the action never happened. You see, it's the heart that makes us guilty. He also said, if a man looks upon a woman with lustfulness in his heart, what does he say? Then he has committed adultery with her. Regardless of whether he acts upon what's in his heart or not, the fact that his heart is wicked condemns him. So, Paul explains here that no works of the law No behavior, no action can save a person. It's not about what we do, it's about who we are. At our best, doing our best, we cannot change our heart and our nature. The truth is that you know that. Paul knew that, Peter knew that. That's why he says, we know. And anyone who really tries finds themselves coming up short. Paul says in Romans chapter 3, verse 19, verse, through verse 20, he says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. You see, the law, the Old Testament law, I mean, if you dumb it down to the Ten Commandments, that cannot fix the problem. What it does is it exposes the problem. The law is like a mirror. Ladies, you, you use mirrors more than most of us. It's a daily part of your routine. And let's just say that this morning you went to the mirror, you did all your things that you do to your face and hair and so on. And you noticed that the mirror exposed that there was a spot you missed. There's a blemish. Maybe it was something you didn't cover up. Or maybe it's something you messed up on. Your mascara is, is doing the wrong thing that a mascara is supposed to do. I don't really know what mascara does. And that's a really good thing that I don't know what mascara does. But it's exposed that, hey, you've messed up or you've missed a spot. Now, there has not yet been a mirror invented that can do anything about what it shows you. All it does is show you what it sees. 
It simply exposes the truth. It lets you see the only action, the only thing that can fix the blemish is something else. Not the mirror itself. And that's what Paul is saying here about the law. No work of the law can justify a person. The law simply exposes the problem. Because listen, in the history of mankind, no human being save Jesus Christ has ever walked the face of the earth. And let's just take only the Ten Commandments. No human being has ever lived an entire life without falling with those commandments. Every single one of us, including you and me, have at some point and place in the journey of our life broken the law, which reveals to us we can't save ourselves. We cannot be good enough. We can't make it through our behavior. That's why Paul says no work of the law can justify a man. We can't save Ourself. He says this at the end of verse 16. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Now this goes against the grain of, of what's in our hearts and minds. The presumption that most people make is that they can be good enough. The problem that many today have is that they assume that I'm okay or because I'm trying, or because I'm a pretty good person, then God is okay with me, just as I am. They presume that their behavior, or their religion, or their good works, or their good thoughts about themselves will be enough to be accepted by such a loving God. It's a human perception, presumption, and it's the ultimate presumption of lostness. It's a lie of the devil that you're good enough. That God accepts you the way you are. And we know that the gospel explains that. The gospel breaks that down. Because we understand, those of us that have come to faith in Christ, that we have to get over that presumption to get to the cross, that you can't get to the cross unless you break through that presumption and you begin to understand that you are a sinner and that you do stand condemned for your sin, which is why you need the cross. And so if you've come to faith in Jesus, if you've been saved, you've broken that presumption. You've come through that. You realize that's not true, that I'm not good enough, that I have wickedness in my life, that I am a sinner. And that I cannot be accepted by God. That's why I need Jesus. That's why I need the cross of Jesus. So, so we understand that. We, that. That's what Paul's saying. We know that no works of the law can justify a person. But here's the problem for so many of us as followers. We still struggle with that presumption. We come back to that. We presume upon the grace of God because we've taken some part in practicing the Christian faith. We, we leave works of the law. We leave behavior for grace. But then we leave grace for works of the law. 
that somehow, some way, I have a good standing before God because I'm a good person or I'm a good Christian. I have a good standing before God because I, I've been going to church. I've been reading my Bible. I've been serving or I've been baptized. That's why Paul is pounding it in. At nowhere and at no point does anything you ever do make you right or more right before God. Let me give you a case in point, fresh example in my own life, how I struggle with that very thought. It happened yesterday. Yesterday, we were at Love Life Charlotte and um, gathered with, uh, I think, three other churches. There were, man, a great turnout from uh, First Charlotte that was there. And basically what we did is we stood in a lot um, down the street from the abortion center. And our, our intent that morning was just simply to pray. Pray that God would intervene. Pray for everyone involved. Pray for the moms and the doctors and everyone involved. And then asking God to stop what was taking place. We worshiped. And I was given the opportunity uh, to speak at it. Um, and I've done this before. I've gone to this before and participate. But this year was different because all of a sudden, out of the blue, there are now hecklers that come to heckle those of us that are there to pray uh, and, and do, you know, do this all quietly, peacefully, and so forth. And so we get there, and I mean, there's, there's gobs of people. And I mean, they're shouting, they're yelling. And it, I mean, it was, it was quite, quite it, it was, it was it, I mean, it was, it was the feeling of darkness. If, if those hecklers were going for a demonic look, they nailed it. I mean, it was, it was awful. Um, I mean, I've never, I've been called a lot of things, but I've never been called that while I've been preaching. Like, while everybody can hear it and so forth. It, it was, it was, it was awful. And I found myself, um, after getting through that, I mean, I, I preached, I wasn't distracted by it. I mean, I was called every word in the book, and so were, it was everyone else there. I found myself thinking to myself, man, there's some bad people. I'm glad I'm not like that. I will never raise my daughter to be like those people. How can those people think the way they do and say the things that they do? I would never do that. We're not doing that to them. As though because of my good behavior, I'm more right than they are. That God accepts me because I don't call people the F word. And I don't believe in abortion. And I don't treat people and yell at people that way. The only thing that makes me acceptable before God has nothing to do with how I behave, what I say, how I treat people. Listen, just because me or you can jump farther than another person doesn't mean that when we jump over the Grand Canyon, we will not be as dead as the person next to us.
just because we can jump further. Just because you were raised a certain way, just because you act a certain way, just because you look a certain way, just because you think a certain way, just because you vote a certain way, just because you have a certain set of morals that you were taught and raised on, does not make you more right before God. And that's the tendency that we have to to shift to. We understand that. We know that. That's why we came to the cross. That's why we came to Jesus, because we know we're not good enough. We know that our behavior can't get us there. But we have this tendency to begin to presume, to presume on our own inherent lovability. Because so often we think of the gospel with reference to the love of God for the world, for you and me. And it's absolutely true. We have the gospel because God so loved the world that he gave his only son. It's the love of God. God loves us. It's so true. But if we're not careful, we'll begin to think of that and speak of that in a way that makes it sound as like God is obligated to love us because we're so lovable. God loves us so much that he wanted a relationship with you so badly that he gave his son for you so that you could be with him forever. He wanted you so badly because of who you are. We can make it sound as the inerrant lovability of people is what drives God to save. That he would be crazy not to save you. This inverts the gospel And leads to a form of presumption, Christian presumption. Listen, friends, God doesn't save you, God doesn't justify you, God does not declare you not guilty because of you, God does not save you because. Of you. God saves you because of who He is. I mean, listen to what Paul says elsewhere. God demonstrates His love for us in this that while we were still sinners, while we were unlovable, while we were failures, while we were stanky, Christ died for us. The beauty of the gospel is this. You weren't and you aren't lovable. That you and I are sinners. And yet because he loves us incredibly still. He did the unthinkable for us. Not because we are so lovable. But because he is so loving. We must remind ourselves of this. And Paul does it so often. He pounds it and pounds it. Because listen, if the Apostle Peter, if the Apostle Peter needed the reminder, if he needed to keep pounding that into the Apostle Peter, and if he needed to keep pounding it into these early churches in Galatia, don't you think that it needs to keep being pounded 2,000 years later in Charlotte, North Carolina at First Baptist Church to you? We need to remind ourselves this because presumption and self-righteousness has no room. At the cross. We need to let the air out. Never think that there is anything that gives us a leg up on someone. 
and that gives us an advantage in any way, shape, or form before God. We are not justified by works. So how? Paul says, verse 16, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ. God takes a sinner, a guilty sinner, and declares him right. God justifies. The holy judge of the universe takes a sinner like you and me who is in willful rebellion, who is deserving of a guilty verdict, and he declares not guilty. That is the gospel. God does it all. That means at the moment of him declaring over you not guilty, that you are no longer guilty, that you are now innocent, and that you have peace with God. How does he do that? Well, he just ignores it. No, no, no. God takes the righteousness of his son Jesus, the one human on this earth that did it perfectly, that fulfilled every work of the law, that lived a perfect and holy and righteous life. And God takes his righteousness and he credits it, he deposits it into your account when you put your faith in Jesus. His work, his life, his perfection, his righteousness becomes yours. He puts it on you. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, for our sake he made him who knew no sin to be sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. How does God justify you? How does he take the guilty and declare him innocent by taking the one who was innocent and giving that innocence to you. Some time ago, a wealthy Englishman who purchased a Rolls Royce, the car of all cars, he purchased it, he had it shipped to France where he lived. The car is advertised as a problem-free car, pristine Never will have an issue, needs no service. But when he got to France, the car broke down. So he called the company, he called Rolls-Royce and, and told them, hey, listen, this, this car, this unbreakable car broke. And so Rolls-Royce said, well, we'll fix it. We'll come. And they flew a mechanic to France to fix it. Now, the guy had the option to go to other places, but he wanted Rolls-Royce to do it, was willing to pay for Rolls-Royce to do it. So they came and they fixed the car. Of course, he expected to get a huge bill. I mean, guy flew down there, spent a week, purchased tools, all sorts of things. He expected to get a huge bill. But when months passed, he never heard back. 
So he finally wrote to them and said, I can pay the bill, just send it to me. And Rolls-Royce sent back this letter. I'm sorry, sir, but we have no record of anything ever having gone wrong with your car. The bill was clean. And that's what happens when someone believes the gospel. God says, I have absolutely no record of anything you have ever done wrong in your life. That's justification. How does he do that? Is it by sweeping it under the rug and God pretending it never existed? No. God knows your sin. He knows it well. He knows it better than you do. And he does not ignore it. The penalty for your sin, the reality of your sin, is not pardoned. Clemency is not granted. No. It's paid. Your record of sin and your penalty of sin is put on the cross of Jesus and paid for by him. It's not that God overlooks it, sweeps it under the rug, and says, we're good. No, 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 no. He says, it's not good, but here's what is good. I'll slaughter my son on your behalf. He'll pay your penalty. He'll take your place. And then what is right of him and what is holy of him and what is due to him for his righteousness and kingship, I'll give to you. Not because of who you are, not because of what you've done. He offers it to you for free. You just have to receive. It's not by giving anything to God. It's by receiving from God what he gives. That's what faith is. To trust in him. Trust that it's enough. Through faith in Jesus Christ, we are justified. It's understanding that I've got nothing to give of worth, and I bring nothing to the table. So I receive all he gives. Faith is receiving Christ into our emptiness. It's like water flowing, the water of grace throwing, flowing from a spigot. And receiving by faith is like taking your pitcher as this grace is flowing, this gift of Jesus is flowing from this pig. And by faith, putting your pitcher underneath that flow of grace of water. You see, the pitcher receives the water, not because of what the pitcher is, not because of how pretty the pitcher is, not because of how strong the pitcher is. It simply receives it. It's not the beauty of my picture. It's not the beauty of me. It's simply holding the picture to the place where the water flows. 
And even so, I am but the vessel, and my faith is the hand which presents the empty vessel to the flowing stream. God offers it, and by faith, you simply receive it. Listen, you can work for something you will never get. Or you can receive something you never worked for. This guiltless standing before God is only through faith in Jesus. And for some of you this morning, God's brought you to this place, to this moment, for you to receive it. To place your faith in Jesus. Have you ever done that? Have you ever come to the point and place where you realize, I cannot get there on my own. And so I give up and I give over to Jesus. I surrender my life to Jesus and I accept Jesus as my Savior. That's the invitation to you today. Receive Jesus as your Savior, and upon receiving Jesus, you will be declared not guilty. In a moment, we're going to give you an opportunity to do that. For those of you in this room, you've done that before. You've accepted Christ. You've received that grace. Oh, self-righteousness and presumption has a way of sneaking in, doesn't it? Maybe today, the Word of God is just trying to remind you, it's Jesus, not you. That your obedience and your behavior is not in order to get something from God or get closer to God. It's because of what he's done for you, not the other way around. And maybe we as a church need to understand this is the message, this is the heart of the message that we need to relay because people think the lost and dying world is lost and dying because people think They can do it on their own. They think it's by themselves. They think it's because of themselves. They think that God loves them and will accept them for who they are when in reality who they are needs a Savior. And we are only right before him by faith in Jesus. Not because we joined a church, not because we joined a political party, not because we did this or that but because of Jesus. That's our message. That's the core. That's what we need to keep pounding. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness and your grace. It's not without it. Without that goodness and grace, we have nothing. We have no standing. And so we praise you today for the grace you gave us through Jesus. And we pray that today, those either watching online or in this room who have not received the gospel of Jesus, 
the grace he offers would receive it today. Would you press upon their heart and soul the importance of Jesus? And would they surrender to him? Remind us as followers of you as well, Lord, of the importance of that. Lord, remind us over and over and over of the beauty and the goodness and the power of the gospel that every step we take and every breath we take and everything we do is because of the gospel. We are right in your eyes, even though when we don't look like it and feel like it. When you see us, you see Jesus because of what you've done. We praise you for that. I pray that would be the message that we're known for above any other message. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as we come. Well, thanks for joining us for worship today. Hey, we would love to talk to you about having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. If you've not made that decision or if you're not sure, we would love to visit with you about that. Here on the screen, there's a number. If you'll text the word Jesus to one of our ministry team members is, is ready to talk with you. If you'll text that number, they'll reach out to you, call you right back and have a conversation with you about how Jesus came to save you and how you can know that you know him for sure. We would love to visit with you. If there's any way we can pray for you this morning, we want you to text as well. If you'll text the word pray to that same number, we would love to pray with you and pray for you today, or at least know how we can be praying for you. Church family, and for those of you that have been watching with us for some time, if you're at a place in point in, in your relationship with our church that you're ready to, to become a member and to join, you could text the word join to this number. It'll connect us with one of our ministers and we'll follow up with you this week about what it means to be a member of First Charlotte and, and walking through that process. I'm glad you joined us for worship today. Can't wait to see you face to face. But in the meantime, we're glad you've joined us. We're glad you're here. We're praying for you. We hope you have a great week and we'll see you next Sunday.